This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. All right, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast, guys. This is the episode where you get to hear two old fuddy-duddies yell into the clouds about modern society. We are covering uh, some somewhat... Under the radar news, kind of. I yeah. feel like a lot of people are just like, oh, here's the thing that happened. Uh, and that's basically uh, Cassius Marsh and Dan Bach basically starting a partnership with TCG player and what that kind of means for influencers in terms of the economic impact, why they may have gotten involved, stuff like that. So let's uh, get it taken away with two key factors here on why they could be involved. So, so. It's interesting to think about influencers in the magic space because we're not talking about players anymore. We're not talking about player influencers. We're talking about vendor influencers, specifically Dan Bach and Cassius. Now, these are individuals in the public sphere that are known by some number of people as players in that area. They're not quite, you know, Jim Brusso. They're not quite Daniel Chang, who are going to work for themselves more so than partner with TCG Player and run their businesses outside of that these are people that work directly on tcg already dan box power nine is already on tcg player uh what is cash's place called i can never remember uh, cash cards cash, i think yeah cash cards is already on tcg player they have their store set up cash cards unlimited they're, yeah. they're already set up right so why officially partner well tcg player and our summation is looking for some representation on the higher end of things. It's not that TCG player can't buy them. They can't. It's not like they can't get it through their buy list. But starting to add names and personalities adds a little bit of gravity to purchases like that. The open market is definitely a place where one can buy older cards like this. But sight unseen from quote-unquote untrusted sources is not a place where a lot of people want to be. Yeah, and especially, you know, a little bit of background, at least on Dan's involvement. Uh, so around Theros or Throne, uh, TCG player approached Sick Deals and said, hey, we want a partnership agreement. And around this time, High End on Facebook announced their partnership agreement with TCG player. One of the contingencies of that was that Dan Bach be an admin. So you can kind of take a look at his website and see that no new sets have been uploaded since Theros Beyond Death. Dan's been a trusted name in the high-end marketplace for years. I mean, his website's Power9, mm -hmm. you know, for crying out loud. Like, that's his brand. And that's the one area that if you're in any of the Facebook groups, you notice power moving all the time. You don't see a whole lot of power, a whole lot of workshops, a whole lot of that stuff on TCG Player. And like my lovely co-host said, it's sight unseen. It's kind of hard to buy it from just some dude on TCG and hope because, yeah, like, worst-case scenario, it's fake and you get a refund. But in the meantime, you're out a few thousand dollars, and not everyone can afford that. Whereas if you can get high-res scans, if you can see the guy's references and see that, all right, well, this is someone who's trustworthy in the industry, yep. I can buy a piece of power from him. And Dan immediately lends legitimacy to TCG in terms of power. Uh, the other thing is there was a post he made where he basically said, you know, they've got most of my inventory. I'm just holding on to a few lotuses personally. He has a lot of power. 
that now TCG has access to, which they, you know, it's no secret Direct has a higher fee structure. Mm-hmm. Guess what they can sell on Direct now? Yep. Down payments on houses. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I, getting those fees helps. Yep. I, I don't want it to be understated that this could be a move motivated primarily by the bottom line, which is TCG players not making any money off of sales that don't happen. Yeah. So when they bring in somebody that can afford them the opportunity to do, to do so and is willing to partner, they will take that opportunity, you know, and hopefully it's beneficial to both and it works out. And that's, you know, something that just kind of underlines this entire movement of bringing in these influencers in the space, these trusted names to try and help bring those sales back. As a vendor, if I'm a large vendor, if I'm a star city, I'm a channel fireball, I'm a troll and toad. Personally, I don't really care that much overall because I have my audiences. People know my brand. They trust my brand yep. already. My customer service department, they can ask for additional scans, et cetera, if they want to, and I'm going to be more than happy to provide them for these cards. I am already in the industry known and legitimate. TCG Player never really had that, doesn't have it, and the photos were meant to kind of correct for that, but didn't overall. The marketplace adjusted, and people are using the photo system beautifully it, it is great but it still doesn't serve the purpose of attempting to patch the high-end gap that tcg player had and has you know and you know dan box inventory if it's not there will be there soon and will fill those gaps and i expect something like this to continue over time now that doesn't just speak to power and old school cards like dan provides uh, we mentioned uh, cash cards unlimited and as you and I talked about before the the show, Cassius is known as the Foil King, right? Yeah. That's kind of his, his his nickname, his claim. And we're right now we're trying to figure out exactly where that inventory lies because there seems to be a split between the primary website of Cash Cards Unlimited and their store on TCG Player. But if you look at the site, there's some incredible high-end items out there, primarily sealed, and then sports memorabilia. And we expect that the offerings on TCG Player will begin to increase over time as stock is is laid in there. I'm pretty sure we've seen photos of the collection and some of the buys that he's made over time, uh, starting like late in the fall when uh, that interview went up with ESPN, and we linked about and talked about yeah. that a little bit. And this will all kind of fall in in time. Right now, they're just kind of priming the pump and saying, "Hey guys, we have names, we have trusted sources." for these buys come take a look again review our marketplace step into this again bring us back to the conversation i think something that's important too is if anyone you know listening has been paying attention to the pokemon market you've seen the impact that logan paul has had on that i mean psa completely shut down submissions but logan paul is still able to crack boxes and box breaks of first edition pokemon and get them into PSA with a specific label for him. Mm -hmm. And that's really helped the health of the game financially because he's brought so many eyes to it. And Magic kind of has that at the high end, but you know, people like Dan and Cass bring more eyes that may not necessarily be from areas that pay attention to TCG player. And yeah, yeah. by improving the overall financial health, 
TCG understands, look, we've got a charismatic guy like Cass out there who's known as a football player outside of Magic. He's known as you know, Foil King inside of Magic. Like, he brings legitimacy to that. And him bringing eyes to TCG players' platform not only improves the financial health, it improves TCG players' bottom line, mm-hmm. which you said, this is a bottom line move. This is absolutely something that, you know, I'm not expecting we'll see, you know, g Easy and Steve Aoki dropping six figures on Magic out of nowhere yeah. like they necessarily did with Pokemon. But you may see some people start to post, you know, hey, I just dropped 30 grand in this. Thanks, Gary V. Like, that influencer charm making its way into Magic is beneficial to the bottom line yep. for everyone not just tcg but especially for tcg yeah and i don't want it to be understated the amount of high end that dan bach can stock on tcg player and the similarities that we can begin to that we might begin to see between what happened with uh watsi era pokemon and we might be able to draw a parallel finally back to magic because a lot of those large public buys haven't been there dan is is uh, under our assumption going to be to allowed to operate as he did as a buyer and a reseller on tcg player which means now dan has a little more legitimacy in space helping power the tcg player platform can go out make bigger buys make more large public buys which is what we were missing and what we've been harping on for magic in regards to the early finances or not early finances the finances of the early sets of the game compared to pokemon and hopefully begin to draw those parallels in movement for a lot of that stuff instead of just like it's reserve list people are buying into it because it's becoming a collector's item it's like well now we have a lot of public facing interest we have a lot of public facing you know money flooding into the into the space and thus we can finally begin to see things truly take off and hold overall it's it was interesting to kind of hear because I didn't recoil initially when I heard that TCG player brought on Dan Bach because he's Dan Bach. Uh, my recoil was they brought on somebody, an, an influencer, because there was a failing in the space. But the more I thought about it, the more I think this is actually a ground-up design. And Dan Bach helps fill in a part of the foundation of TCG player that's missing and can allow them to build additional systems or additional solutions uh, maybe another sales platform or something better on top of what they have and essentially reaffirm themselves as a pillar of the marketplace with a, an, an updated offering in the future because they're able to pick up more revenue, unionize and you know give their employees a, a better COL. Or sorry, QOL. I think too it's worth mentioning that something else he brings to this and this was taken from a Facebook post in the LGS owners group. Or he basically said like, hey, yeah, I, you know, I live in Syracuse now. Uh, I work with TCG, but part of my perspective here is that of the LGS. Because, you know, I worked with some former executives, some current executives with TCG. Not a lot of them have LGS experience. A lot of the people making those decisions have been at the top level of gaming or, you know, event coordination or something for a while. It's been a minute since they've had to deal with the daily customer and granted not that dan's shop was you know necessarily suffering as much as some other lgs's were that's obviously not what i'm saying here uh but it's the perspective how watsi treats the lgs what you can expect from the lgs how players interact and 
and TCG now gets that kind of in, not inside information, but that unique perspective, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's important because they don't. Watsi doesn't care. I I think they've made that abundantly clear. So TCG does yeah. with Dan have this opportunity to step in and say, hey, look, here's you know, here's what my experiences in LGS was. This is what I was handling. This is what I was dealing with. You know, help me out here. Mm -hmm. Let's let's try to work something out. Yeah. And I think that's that is one of the key parts of this too that I think should not be underestimated because you know, it's no secret. If you're an LGS, you can't be just magic, and yep. you have to sell on TCG players. So it's kind of you know the devil you know, versus Binder Pros, the devil you don't. Well, Binder Pros is new, and TCG knows. All right, well let's try to get in with the LGS and see what this is about. Yep. So that helps. Yeah, and uh, you know this is this could be a move to get ahead of the competition. Absolutely, Binder Binder POS mainly served uh, as a Canadian institution prior to their. Uh, partnership with uh, CFB. CFB literally rebranded today in logo only. It now looks more like the C in the, f the state flag of Colorado, like almost exactly. It It's literally just trailing a little <laughs> fart of fire. Otherwise, it looks like a one-to-one. -one. But we really don't know what that offering is going to look like yet. Um, Binder, in, our, in my estimation, was just going to be a competitor to Crystal Commerce, which just allows you to hook into a number of systems. And as it was like I mentioned earlier, mainly serving Canadian LGSs, there was really no need to hook into TCG player because your shipping fees are going to be monumental since TCG is primarily a US only uh, marketplace. But yeah. with part, you know, partnering with Channel Fireball, you might get that hook into TCG player uh, as well as you know Amazon, eBay, um, you know Facebook marketplace places of things. So there could be uh, additional. Uh, options there and you know anywhere else they, they deem necessary but tcg if binder Pro pos is going to hook into tcg player that still allows tcg player the option to innovate beyond just being a platform for other people to plug their their shit into you know something that that i'm kind of interested in is you know you bring on cash cards unlimited right and we know cash has been in the space for a bit his sealed product as far as we can tell goes all the way back to onslaught singles um you know down the line even though it might be one of one you know like one card from tempest etc they're doing a good job of trying to backfill but the prime it looks like what they do is mainly sports card related and i'm kind of curious if that becomes a splinter for tcg player you bring in you know dan who's hardline uh, magic and lgs so he he can kind of guide based on some other things you know the other games that TCG player serves as well because Dan was an L, you know an LGS and served that. You bring in Cassius who sits between uh, Magic and sports cards, and then maybe you bring in somebody that's also dedicated to sports cards, and now you can just kind of serve a larger offering overall and in, in the collectible space, not just the card gaming space. And part of that can be the foundation that they're laying that I mentioned earlier. We won't really know for I'd say six months to a year after everything kind of folds in and they really kind of put forth and announce their intentions. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned that they could be getting into sports cards because there actually is not a platform like TCG for sports cards. Nope. The closest thing you have is COMC, which is a consignment program. I was going to say uh, eBay, but yeah. 
Well, e- eBay too, but eBay, you know, eBay. is eBay. Yeah. Uh, you, you don't have something where you can just throw something up for some stupid number and hope, well, I mean, if it reaches this number, I'm fine letting it go for that. Yep. Um, and I, I would have to assume that TCG Player is aware of that. And that is, like you said, something that Cass gives them that they didn't necessarily have before. Yeah, I never signed up for the TCG Player uh, newsletter, so every time they add a game, I'm always super surprised. Like, I didn't know, and I guess they still have them. Uh, they have Pops. Yeah. Bakugan I... was a game that came and went. Munchkin is yep. here. You know, there's a lot of stuff on here. So continuing to open up into the collectible space and not just the card game space and remain kind of, like, siloed in that seems like a, a decent opportunity and they already have a lot of the backbone they need for it because what you're going to be doing with sports cards is mainly you're not just going to sell graded cards but that's going to be a lot of what moves or the opportunity to buy cards to be graded right so you have the the platform that allows for photos individualized titles because we've seen some crazy stuff somebody uh dredged up from a year or two ago the is it the library of alexandria that says uh selling for a lifetime supply of boston market yeah, or the tabernacle. <laughs> yeah, the tabernacle. Sell- yeah. yeah, customized title on TCG player because you were al- you were allowed to do that. Yeah, and and so they've slowly been morphing the platform to be a, a little more user friendly, and in doing so, they also afford themselves the opportunity to open up to new markets. And I would not be surprised to see that happen, and I would honestly be happy because again, that continues to bring traffic to TCG player, whether it remains TCG player or something else. It's still, you know, branded the same, and you'll have overflow back and forth, and you'll see the influencers in the space. I assume coming together and working together because that's what you do when you have influencers. I, I don't expect them to just chirp on Twitter or Facebook, what have you. So, yeah. you know, overall, I, I like the move. It just took me a little while to kind of figure out and really swallow the information and not just recoil from the fact that a collectible space chose a collectibles market space marketplace chose to bring in influencers for some kind of unseen reason and and the more i really just kind of parsed it i I came to the conclusions like i i mentioned which was it's a a lot of gap filling and a lot of opportunity for them and i think overall i i'm i'm happy about this i'd be interested to see how much they work with cassius because we know that anybody who does sports cards does razzes or box breaks in one form or another even channel fireball has been doing that with pokemon and magic recently so you know do we get some kind of influencer sponsored or in- influencer driven breaks do we see you know a tcg player you know twitch stream pop up with that kind of stuff you know is that available on the platform you know you buy your tickets to the break on troll and toad's main site uh on uh, cash cards unlimited main site and then you watch the streams and they bust it right there i don't know how you buy uh, channel fireballs yet but i have seen the bust videos go up on on twitch and you know one of the things about this that helps with breaks on the sports side is you can get personals and channel does a lot of that where it's like all right you buy a box and we'll crack it on stream for you yep. and say your name a bunch yep um i don't know having an nfl linebacker say that seems pretty sweet to me I, but <laughs> I, I i absolutely agree i, I like watching yeah. some of the busts i don't like watching the highlights because you know sure Everybody found, or not everybody, people found the onslaught fetch in the box of bulk lands. We don't need the miracle story. I want to know about the 45 minutes ahead of that where they just parse through basic lands. I want to yeah, see the entire just, thing. 
yeah, I'd, I'd rather hear that story too. But I, I think it's interesting that TCG has adapted to this before Wizards, uh, which, granted, Wizards has kind of struck out a lot with their background checks. But, uh, but you know, I, I think it's good for the industry that they're doing this because, yeah. you know, if it worked for Pokemon, which is, you know, a kid's game, like, it, it is, at its core, a kid's game, which magic is not. I don't care what Hasbro says. I don't care what Wizards of the Coast says. Magic is not a kid's game anymore. It hasn't been for years. That's the reality. You can walk Dane out there all you want to. She is not the average person at a Grand Prix. She is not the average person at an FNM. That's facts. And I think that trying to get influencers and personalities involved, one, does add, you know, more eyes because these are people who have pull outside of magic. These are people who have pull with mainstream finance. Yeah. Um, and it also, by bringing these people in, can get younger eyes involved. You know, I know plenty of people that didn't know what Pokemon was, but they sure knew who Logan Paul was yep. that are younger that just hadn't been exposed to it. Mm -hmm. And I think that you can now bring people in with Cass and Dan and whoever else they partner with in the future to try to get more eyes into this product. So yeah. TCG is in a way benefiting Wizards bottom line by doing that, but yeah, I digress. I, I think less Dan and more Cassius because the, the Cassius move helps normalize it because there are, are a number of NFL players that started tweeting with Commander oh, yeah. Masters and the CBBs over the summer, like their hall and like yeah. normies, quote unquote, people that play this game were very interested to see what they busted, you know, what did they yeah. open when they bought their hundreds of CBBs, what came out of it? And that benefits Watsy, yes, because it's the pro it's their product that's being, that's being bought, and the more people that play, the more people that buy product benefits the rest of us, but at the end of the day, you still have to buy your product from someone somewhere, right? If it's TCG Player, if it's Cash Cards Unlimited, either on TCG Player or their main site, you know, Star City, Channel Fireball, Troll, you know, whomever, whomever site it just helps kind of erase the stigma around the game of who this game is for and why and yeah. you know normalize that and i think that's super important and we'll pro i hope we'll see more of that in time and they continue to move down the line of you know it's not i don't want to say athletes but like people outside the gaming sphere that are interested in the game to come in and do this you know you said you mentioned you know gary v earlier and we know gary's been looking at uh pokemon uh they're like i mentioned athletes looking at magic and it's just not uncommon to find that other people are interested in this game people you wouldn't expect and the more tcg player looks at this and looks for this the better it is that overall for for the game as a whole not just finance yeah I don't think it's an about time issue because this is the secondary market bringing in influencers, which is kind of unique. I think this is just a, this, oh, this will have unintended consequences that benefits everyone kind of thing. Yeah. I, I think it's worth, you know, this is definitely something that I think is only good yep. for the industry as a whole, the game as a whole, you know, whatever. I, I think it's just solid. Uh, I think that unintended consequences may be seen by a lot of people as bad because it's going to make the game more expensive because you know what 
frankly, I know some people that are frustrated because they can't get Pokemon for their kids because you have people lining yep. up at Target to buy it. Buy it out underneath somebody else. Yep. Because they know the day the card we're, guy shows up. We're back to where Pokemon was when it first came out and you just couldn't get it because everybody wanted to buy it to play. Yeah. Pokemon. And it's... Came right back around. Yeah. Uh, and I think we may, you know, unfortunately with the production issues we have with Magic, that may be something we see soon. But, you know, I don't think the influencers are quite there yet. But I definitely think this is the type of thing where in the future, you know, the more stuff like box breaks pick up, the more Hasbro is, or Wizards of the Coast is its own subsidy of Hasbro, whatever the current alignment is. Yeah. Uh, they're going to try to push it more towards that sports card model of sell it out immediately and let the game suffer and that's what i am afraid the unintended consequence oh, yeah. of this would be. i i i can see that i guess it all, it all kind of depends right if you want to really push your game to arena then it's different then you can go with the sports cards yeah. model of you know sell out in paper asap and let the secondary market do what it's going to do because everything forever will be digital and you know yeah. that's a different conversation for for another time and something we keep alluding to as a possibility you know outside of the influencer conversation right yeah so yeah you know, take take that as you will. Uh, I guess um, you know un unintended consequences. I think, as mentioned earlier, this just helps legitimize the collector's era of the game, and thus all of that does go up. And if you're not thinking about it, you need to, because once this again becomes a little more legitimate, we start seeing more large public buys, yeah. and it all ripples through the reserve list era of the game. And yeah. TCG player, that I'm sure, it's you know that the uh, the office meme, you know, there's the boss and the dude who's like, yeah, well, what about this? And they throw him out the window. Like I'm sure yeah. there's one guy who's just like, well, reserve list man, what's gonna happen? And they just threw him out the window. Threw him out the window. Yeah. Um, I don't think TCG player has to think about that at all because that's not what they're looking for. They're just looking to churn product on the website. They don't care about the, the price overall because they can make their bread and butter on standard things. And legitimizing yep. the collector's market helps overall because now they can capture that, pull some stuff back in, make a make more there than they were before, which is what they're looking for, and overall works for them. But for the average player and collector, it's going to be an unintended consequence that these larger public buys will start to raise the price uh raise sorry awareness of magic yeah bring legitimacy legitimacy to the collector's era of magic and thus raise the prices then we're just going to sing that song until the day we die maybe dance that dance we'll get there we will uh anything else you want to hit on before we head out into picks no let's hit the picks all right did you go last week you know what? i'm you gonna went... make you go this week because i don't understand why people like this card <laughs> I don't. All right. I don't get it. So the pick is Ophiomancer. All right. Hear me out on this. Supply has been incredibly steady for a while. Yeah, it was just one printing, right, in a commander set? One, one printing in a commander set. This is one of those cards that sees a decent amount of EDH play, has a price history, and that's one of the reasons that I think it's a decent-ish pickup. We did just come off a spike. There are now, no, if, I'm going to interrupt. There are no light play or near mint copies of this card on TCG Player right now. What the fuck? Wait, what? Did my filters... What is going on with Ophiomancer right now? Hold on. 
Oh my god, I broke TCG player. Alright, we did it. Hire us. We'll fix it. <laughs> oh, I'm still uh, under cash cards unlimited. That's why. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. I was going to say, there were definitely some. So, we just came off a spike with this card. Why is that important? Because last time we came off a spike, it went from $6 to 15 and then floored at 10 So, we went from... $16 to 20 is where we're at, and we've been there for a little bit. Yep. This card is not a huge reprint risk. This card has a history of liquidity. It's a card also that at Grand Prix, at one point, when it was $6 in the U.S., had an international buy list of 15 because being in a Commander product, it's not something that everyone has access to. So... I think this is good because stock has been stable. It means that it's easy to manipulate. You can get in with the 14 listings on TCG Player right now, uh, of which 10 are under $30. You can get in and easily cause a price fluctuation with this card. It's worth mentioning that I haven't seen supply in large quantities anywhere. Star City had three, last I checked. Card Kingdom had four. This is not something that's widely available out there. It's something that sees play at the kitchen table level, the casual level, and clearly has an element of international demand to it as well. Three mana, get a snake with death touch every time. Casuals love snakes. So here's the thing. If it's going to get reprinted, it's going to be reprinted in Return to Kamigawa when we go back to snakes which was announced as a cyberpunk set, so who yeah, knows if that's knows. actually going to happen or if that was some weird COVID-induced dream. But I think that if you get in on this card at about $20, even $25, it is very reasonable that if we don't get a reprint in the next six to eight months with what we've seen happening with prices, we may actually get to $50 on this card because it hasn't been hit with a wave of commander spikes yet. And the fact that it hasn't, and I said it was just hit with a spike. Well, it was, you know, a 20% spike over what it was before. Mm -hmm. Fine. Uh, it's been steady at around 16 for a bit now, and it's trending back down in that direction. I think if you can get in for sub $20 in about six to eight months when the rest of these commander spikes bear out and you have, you know, we've moved on from the medallion cycle being $20 across the board and we're hitting more of these niche cards like Ophiomancer, you're going to start to see these things with the one-off commander printings from years that were a while ago. This was 2013. Yes. Uh, that weren't necessarily super popular like some of them are now, where you have everyone and their mother getting a whole set of five. I think that when that happens, this will be one of those cards that all of a sudden is worth $60, and you're like, wait, I need this for something, and now I can't afford it. Especially, you know, looking at the cards that were in this Commander series, you've got a lot of stuff that's been reprinted already. Prosh was super popular. That was hit already. Jaleva was super popular. Derevi. These all see eternal play. Toxic yeah. Deluge, Baleful Strix. These, these things see eternal play. They aren't just EDH cards. And that's why I think this is a prime opportunity. Because we're not at reprint risk eminently until we hit Kamigawa. 
So that's my why, why my window is about six to eight months. Once we start getting into what may be Kamigawa spoiler season, who knows? We just know it's coming sometime down the line. Yep. So I think it's a solid pickup for $20 or less. It's an easy way to double up your money or at the very least get a 30% margin if you out to a buy list. It's not something that requires a lot of cost up front because there are so few copies out there. Yep. It's something that, you know, if one or two people start moving on, you're going to see a pretty big change in the price. And that's, you know, try to get this card before it spikes because I feel like the spike is inevitable at this point, especially based on what we're seeing with commander cards and the overall paper market, mm -hmm. especially for something that is such a small print run that doesn't have a whole lot of reprint equity necessarily. So that's all. I, to, <laughs> me, to me, this card could have no text box, nothing at all, hold it, have a price associated with it. And the, the, the entire discussion around this card is centered around scarcity and the ability to remove quantity from the market without fear of reprint. I still don't understand. Like, I literally know what this card does. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It is not, uh, what is it? Verdant force. It doesn't yeah. keep making snakes. If you have a snake, any snake at all, any card with creature type snake, be it a token or an actual creature, you do not get a snake. And you only ever get one snake from this thing. I do not know what this card does in regards to the game. The end. It's really difficult for me to say this card is good or bad because I don't know why people use this card for anything. I understand it with Yawgmoth because it's a free creature to sacrifice every turn. I understand sure. that. And sure, if you want to take the slow boat approach to tokens, you can absolutely use this. I'm sure it's on the short list of cards for mono black token, uh, mono black token generators uh, that give you something every turn, right? Some kind of value. And so I think the conversation around this card has less to do with what it actually does and more, like you said, population, demand, and the ability to affect price with very little effort yeah you know looking at tcg player there are 10 english copies left at uh lp or near mint in english and when you open up the filter to allow for non-english cards six more enter the marketplace and they're all japanese and they're all fairly cheap in comparison to yep. english prices this is a card with like little to no population and i think for that kind of thought experiment, this is a perfectly viable card to work with, especially because, as you pointed out, after that bottom out, and I'll bring up the stocks, stocks graph again, while uh, small, the slope is positive and, in, and has been increasing, uh, and sorry, and constant ever since April of maybe February of 2020, somewhere in there, and it's just yep. been a constant gainer. So overall, if you want to step into the marketplace and begin playing with, you don't even have to play with manipulation, but just get in on something that is going to be easily manipulated instead of the reserve list, this is something you can do at little cost. Primal yep. Vigor, same set from 2013, costs twice as much. Probably does four times as much. 
but the barrier to entry for something like that that is also eminently manipulatable is a lot higher. So if you want to to work in that space, this I think this is a perfectly reasonable card to start with and absolutely represents a good opportunity. I still don't know why people play this card or in what, but here we are. Like I said, I don't have to. I, I like it as a pick because of the thought experiment. If you had an explanation for why this was playable, I would have lost my fucking mind. By the way. <laughs> no, I, I've, I've sold it to people. They're like, oh, I need this for my EDH deck. And I generally assume if you need it for your EDH deck, I'm not going to have a conversation with you because we're not playing the same EDH, and that's fine. Yeah. That's just a difference of opinion. Like, it is, like I said, mono black Yawgmoth shenanigans with Grave Betrayal and Grave Pact, and like when you sack a creature, everybody else does too, and you make Snake every turn, Breeding Pit, blah, blah, blah. I get that. I, I get the, the awkward synergies, but that is the slowest fucking strategy I've ever heard. Like, yeah. so, so slow and bad. I skull clamp my snake token and I draw two cards. Oh, sure. Right. I, I could do that. I could not be in this game right now. That's where I could be. My pick is a lot faster, though. My pick is Death Renderer. A piece of equipment that you've probably never heard of unless you play one of, like, two styles of decks. Death Renderer is an equipment from Lorwyn that is really interesting because it's kind of like Nim Deathmantle from Scars of Mirrodin, but a little bit better. Yep. So, uh, I've been watching this card not too long, um, about December of 2020, and it was stagnant for a while, as you can see on the price chart, and it starts to rebound in July, but the buy list doesn't change on it that much, and the market, but the market price starts to increase, so I didn't want to pull a trigger, and I wanted to give it some time, and Strixhaven affords us this opportunity. So, Death Render, like I said, is a unique piece of equipment because of the triggered ability. So, it costs four, it equips for two, an equipped creature gets plus two, plus two. Awesome. It's well below rate for a piece of equipment. But the important part is whenever equipped creature is put into a graveyard from play, you may put a creature card from your hand into play and attach Death Renderer to it. So it allows you to just, you know, sacrifice, have that creature destroy it, and just immediately redeploy, right? So, you know, this basically plays in various graveyard strategies and, like, Boros combat decks, and I'll, I'll bring up the the generals on uh, on wreck. And you can see, like, call the forge master is the brand new commander, but everything else here just screams equipment until you get to um, like Athreos and uh, Yagmoth and Marin Korvald, right? So, you know, you're gonna want this is this plays in, in both of those decks. Uh, Boros is mainly your combat based decks. And graveyard shenanigans mainly start with black, but then kind of branch out. It's a very polarizing card. It doesn't play well in decks that don't want to cheat something into play in some way, in some way shape, or form. Yeah. So, as I mentioned, it's not really the best equipment to, like, quote-unquote, get the job done in combat. There are a number of other better options for this. But if you pack your deck full of must-answer creatures, like the original Aurelia, the original Gisela, uh, this provides an interesting decision points for your opponents as you can continue to cheat out more must-answer creatures. And that frees up your mind to do whatever you want. You can just continue to redeploy to the board and eventually take over from the accrued advantage. For a deck like Yawgmoth or Marin, you're just looking to abuse this for graveyard-based shenanigans. I'm not even calling them synergies here. And it just allows you to combo out or synergize out the table. I'll put the word synergy in quotes. So it's very polarizing because the, because the middle ground on this is something like the swords, where they're just good in combat. 
But yeah. it's not quite dark steel plate that gives indestructible. Or Argentum armor that has a really interesting trigger that allows you to just get a permanent. It's it, very polarizing. So, uh, with Strixhaven continuing to pump out combat-based Boros cards, no matter what Watsi wants to say, they're still making Boros cards that either involve combat or creatures. There's some graveyard, eh, but the majority of the Boros cards in Strixhaven are combat-based. So we can look at those cards um, that provide value in existing shells or allow you to like redevelop your aggressive shells and get ahead of our demand curve for this card. Um, after years of stagnation, we're finally finally seeing this climb back up to its all-time high with market outpacing average, and I'll bring this up on stocks again. So the all-time high, it peaked at about $5, and right now we're sitting at about $4.04. But if I zoom in, you can see that market has been outpacing um, average for almost three months now, maybe closer to four months. So the delta between TCG low, as of my picking this, uh, low was 350, CK Bialis was 225, is a bit wide, but continuous growth on the open market, not a spike, combined with the rise at the vendor Bialis level, which is why I chose to, to talk about this card this week, demonstrates organic demand, which means that we should be able to out these for profit in the midterm. My expectation would be in the next six months, and that's where you'll be able to churn it to Bialis for profit. I do want to say that Bialis has been has increased but it's been stagnant so in december ck was buying 23 of these at two dollars as of writing this they were buying 18 at 225 and as of recording they're buying 14 at 225 so their demand is a lot less than the open market so if you're looking to flip uh, in a shorter term window mm -hmm. you're going to want to do that on the open market if you want to you know sit a spell stay a while and listen then that's going to be uh, the bialis in about six months, my expectation. So uh, this is Death Renderer, a very unique piece of equipment, and something, like I said, I expect to rise over time. And anytime we really get this like renewed effort on the, the, the combat step for EDH, especially in something Boros or Boros-based, you know, Mardu or branching into Nea, it's always worthwhile to just step through all the like tier two and tier three equipment. Everybody yeah. understands what Argentum armor is good for. Batter skull, the swords, uh, Gite. But what about Manriki Gusari, Death Render, Nim Death Mantle, all these other cards. Mask of Memory, yep. yeah. Uh, Bone Horde. Like, there's a lot of other really good pieces of equipment out there that do more than just win you the combat step. Some of them win more, like Bone Horde. But some of them do really unique and interesting things, and it's always worthwhile to kind of step down the list and see what's going on with these cards. So. I like it. I also like the price gap in foils, um, especially when you take a look at the Conspiracy versus the Lorwyn prices. Uh, Conspiracy is like 10 bucks, right? And, of course, the Lorwyn, which has incredibly good foiling. Yep. Uh, if any of you have ever, you know, had the chance to check out Lauren Foiling, you know it's gorgeous. You go from $20 for LP to $50 for Near Mint, and there are four total listings for both conditions. Jeez, yeah. So this is something that, you know, being an older foil like that demands a premium for the people that want their originals regardless. Uh, outside of that, it's just really solid. It's an EDH card that people love. 
I think, you know, when you have your combat generals, your Aurelios, your, you know, Brunos, Bracellas, whatever, you tend to foil out your equipment because you're going to be casting it a lot. So I think that has an opportunity as well. Yeah, I I didn't want to bring up the foils because the gap between uh, set non-foil and set foil is so large that, you know, dropping, you know, 20-ish dollars is all to me a lot for an investment for something like this um but you can get like 10 of the non-foil yeah, for that so yeah. i definitely see you yes but it's definitely worthwhile to, to look at it and something to think about so yeah um like i said it's not flashy it gets the job done and i think that kind of often gets overlooked for what people think are more of a workhorse in regards to yeah. equipment when in reality this is a workhorse equipment because if they kill your Gisela, then you can just back it up with an Aurelia or even a combat yeah. celebrate to give you another combat step. Like, what you can do with this sword to ensure your game plan, I think, is lost right now because this doesn't come up on aggregate lists. Yeah. You know, there's a standard equipment package because people just expect to win after they drop three swords and a whatever a pair of boots. And sure, maybe oftentimes that's what you, you want to do. But when you're playing that kind of deck and that kind of strategy, if you get picked apart, that's it. This allows yeah. you to come back faster or, like I said, create interesting decision points for your opponent. So even if you don't like this as a pick overall, man, if you play combat-based decks or something with great with, that plays off graveyard synergy and sacrificing stuff, still look at Death Render as a good card. You know, just yep. PSA, good card. Yeah, really good versatility. Solid. So, I think that's going to be it for this week, though. If there's anything else you want to touch on? Nope. All right. So, uh, before we officially cut out, I am at Halt I am Reptar on Twitter, and you can find MTG Cabalcast at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon. The podcast is on Audible, Stitcher, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast. Spotify. Spotify. Yep. yep. And as always on YouTube, we can find you on at Facebook at Thirsty Sizzler. We'll see you next week.